where you end up is actually um, through Christ himself, through his trauma uh, and his overcoming the grave itself and every violation that, that he knowing and meeting and living with us has this way of, of drawing us close in. And we end up in a place more profoundly, deeply uh, good than, than even where we were. Uh, that doesn't make the trauma good. It doesn't mean like, oh, I'm glad I went through trauma. It, it just simply means there is this inescapable reality to the depth of hope that a connection to Christ in the midst of trauma offers. Someday, you will be strong and healthy forever. Essential to, to our caring for each other is we actually move toward each other rather than wait for somebody to move toward us. Every person is wrestling with those two basic problems. Problem of identity, problem of evil, whether it's coming at me or coming from within me. What is so remarkable in how the Bible approaches people in suffering, fully cognizant that they feel he's far away, is over and over and over again, it says he's near. I love biblical counseling. It has been profoundly impacting on my own life, and it's it's just one of those places where you you can think endlessly. There's always more to to see, and there's always more to interact with. And I love interacting with the disciplines around biblical counseling and being provoked in my thinking and sharpened and, and driven back to Scripture and in deep ways. One thing that. I suspect uh, if you're a biblical counselor, you, you probably know well, and if you're not, uh, you can probably at least imagine um, what it's like for those of us who have really devoted a lot of time and energy to, to biblical counseling and developing content is that um, I find that uh, very, very often uh, one perspective on biblical counseling out there in the broader world is that it's, it's kind of shallow, that it's seen as um, yeah, that's that's great that you're bringing this faith perspective to help people, um, but you make me a little nervous that you're sort of bringing out this Bible, this this old book, when uh, when we have a lot of more current and much more in depth information and literature out there about how people really work. And there's just, and since biblical counseling was born, uh, right? There's been a, an ongoing conversation back and forth between biblical counseling and and the psychological literature around it. Um, and sometimes that conversation has been more heated and sometimes it's been more cool. But um, I, I think fairly consistently, uh, the, the message that I at least hear within biblical counseling from outside biblical counseling is, is that biblical counseling is not as deep. It doesn't go as far. It doesn't offer help that, uh, that gets down to the core as much as, as some of the secular or, or psychological literature does. And I'd like to just in, in one very, very narrow, small way give, give a demonstration of why as a biblical counselor, I get so excited about biblical counseling and, and how it goes so deep, deeper than, um, than something that doesn't have the Lord Jesus Christ at its center could. And, and it's really that – it's that depth that I'm wanting to, 
to uh, unpack a bit. So um, what I thought I'd do is I, I said pick an example of something that's been really provoking my thinking recently. I'll actually be interacting with a, a book that I haven't even finished yet, uh, but I've been really appreciating. Uh, it's not by not by a Christian author. Um, and talking about uh, some things I've really appreciated from it and some ways where I, I would say those things in, in many ways actually just point to where some of Scripture's depth is so profoundly important and helpful and and useful. So the particular uh, little example I wanted to bite off is uh, from the, the trauma literature out there, which is uh, one of the key places where uh, – where broadly the, the psychological field is focused uh, these days. And in particular, I wanted to look at from from what I can hear and, and tell and from my own observation, you know, one of the best books within trauma literature, maybe the best uh, to come out in the past decade or so, which is uh, called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. Uh, and actually, I got to spend some some time in Holland as a, as a child. So I have a deep affection for just the fact that he has this cool name. I mean, Bessel van der Kolk, that's just a, that's a great name right there. And so I'm not surprised that somebody with a great name would come up with a fantastic name for a book, right? So, so the core idea of the book, The Body Keeps the Score, is kind of contained in the title. The, the things that happen to you are going to stick with you physically no matter what you do with them sort of cognitively. So if you've been through something really hard and, and traumatic and awful, you can expect and in fact you're basically guaranteed to have long-lasting physiological baggage of some sort or another from that from that experience. And I, I think I think the um, the, the multitude of ways that he goes about unpacking that, and he's certainly not the only one to observe the connection between trauma and, and lasting physiological kinds of struggles and impacts and, and harm. Um, but, but that particular insight um, is, is not one that should be at all surprising to us as, as Christians, and it's one that I think we can be profoundly grateful to um, – well, Bessel and, and many others like him who have spent time really thinking about what is it like to go through something really, really hard and what are the long-term lasting, you know, maybe subtle, maybe less observable, less obviously directly connected kinds of, of physical impacts. So anyhow, I think it's a great example of, of the secular literature at, at its best and uh, really making some, some strong and helpful connections. Now, within that, let me just let me just pick out one or two things that I wanted to, to zoom in on, places where I appreciate um, what the book is saying, and and yet places where I'd like to talk about how the the scripture can go deeper and further. Um, first, and I'm actually going to flip open my book here, uh, looking at uh, page three. This is uh, or page two and three. This is in the in his introduction. Let me just pull out a couple of sentences here that that give a flavor of here's here's the core goal that he is going for with folks who have experienced just horrible, awful things in in their lives and and are still reeling maybe even decades later from the impact of that. Um, he says, uh, sort of setting up the idea, he says, it takes tremendous energy to keep functioning while carrying the memory of terror and the shame of utter weakness and vulnerability. Uh, and that could be its whole own, you know, three podcast series just unpacking that sentence and thinking about the way that shame is indeed a, an inherent consequence of, of trauma and why um, and this idea of utter weakness and vulnerability and how that has profound effects. Um, I'm just going to jump over uh, a little bit later. He talks about um, – here. here's some of our ways to help and ways to 
to uh, move into people's lives. And he says, you know, we can now develop methods and experiences that utilize the brain's own natural neuroplasticity to help survivors feel fully alive in the present and move on with their lives. And I think that's probably one of his best summaries of the implicit goal that he would have for all of, of trauma care. And then he talks about talking about trauma and taking medication to help with trauma and, and then even having bodily kinds of experiences and, and practices that, that can help traumatize people and talking about how there's a complexity and, and a, you know, a back and forth um, between the three that, that people need. And I just thought that, that core goal, that sense of um, we want to help people feel fully alive in the present and we want to help them move on with their lives – is um, that that's that is a lovely desire, uh, and those are good things. We want people to feel fully alive and, and fully present. We don't want people locked in in the past. That is not where Scripture points, and and we certainly want people to move on and to continue to function and to be part of community and to experience purpose and and joy and all those things are 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 good. Um, and yet, if we think about where, where does where does Scripture move? Where where does Scripture go? It's it's not simply that we would be able to move on from traumas, um, but it's it's rather something something deeper. And I would talk about it in three different ways. I'd, I'd say uh, Scripture talks about not just um, not just moving on and 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 experiencing good in the rest of your life, but actually being transformed through our trials. Uh, having our very faith, having the very core of what we believe and our, and our connection to the living God actually strengthened on the far side of even horrific things. And and probably the two paradigmatic examples uh, in, in scripture would, you know, would be the, the exodus uh, after slavery for uh, generations in Egypt. And I mean, just slavery is a it is as miserable of a of a of a concept as you can as you can put on the table and and then uh, the the exile uh, just this experience of of violence and and violation and isolation and communal breakdown and loss of personal autonomy and loss of connection to God and to land and history and story and it just it, everything that could possibly be taken from a person was was taken from the exiles uh, when they were ripped out of out of the land where they had known and lived with with the Lord. And and he's saying, even through these things, even with that clearly as a category that Scripture looks at and gets, there is this hope in the midst of it. And it's not simply a hope of moving on uh, with your new life in Babylon, but it's actually with uh, staying connected to the living God uh, in the wake of of trauma and being through um, this in in different way for for every person and and every situation, but being transformed and and becoming someone who is in fact more like Christ, someone who is more able to live with with hope and strength and just just the idea that there is hope in the midst of trauma for for transformation. Now, is that totally inimical uh, to the secular thinking? Would would Bessel van der Kolk say, "Oh no, people never get transformed through trauma"? Of course not. I'm, I'm sure he would would agree with that. But but we have a language in Scripture to to think about the depth of that transformation and a transformation that's um, not merely functional, but that is a de- as deep as our soul and as long as eternity. Uh, that is profound. That, that's redemption. Um, that is something that, that takes us and where you end up is actually um, through Christ himself, 
through his trauma uh, and his overcoming the grave itself and every violation that, that he knowing and meeting and living with us has this way of, of drawing us close and, and we end up in a place more profoundly, deeply uh, good than, than even where we were. Uh, that doesn't make the trauma good. It doesn't mean like, oh, I'm glad I went through trauma. It, it just simply means there is this inescapable reality to the depth of hope that a connection to Christ in the midst of trauma offers. There's also a significant concern for 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 justice, and I want to want to move to that in a second. But um, let me let me read a second little snippet here from from the body keeps the score that I, I found again just provocative and and helpful. And it's the idea of um, having a, I'm here over here on a page thirty thirty one, um, and the idea that people need to have. Um, they need to have physical experiences to restore a visceral sense of control in, in their lives. That part of the, the awfulness of trauma is being out of control and being helpless. And, and part of what helps in the face of that is actually to experience control, uh, to experience a, a body that is back under your own mastery. And I would say two things about that. This, this visceral experience of, of control, I would say yes and amen, right? Uh, Hopefully, if we're if we're if we're biblically oriented, we would say that being able to calm down, uh, to step out of panic mode, whether that panic mode has been going on for thirty seconds or thirty years, right? That this is good and and helpful. That there's this right way in which being able to catch your breath, being able to um, physically de-escalate to the point where we could actually begin to take thoughts in, uh, begin to process what's going on, even uh, be able to, with some level of coherence, cry out to the Lord for help, right? This is a good thing. And I I appreciate the way uh, the body keeps the score is sort of underlining the sense of, you know, your body is connected to your brain. Uh, your body is connected to your soul, although, of course, he doesn't use that language. But this idea that uh, a body that is more calmed, and he goes into great depth about different ways and, and suggestions he has, and I'm not going to get into uh, interacting with that material, but simply to say that that uh, on some level, at, at the most basic level, being able to calm down is a good thing, and I appreciate his emphasis on recognizing there's just a there's a wisdom there's sort of a proverbs like wisdom in recognizing that calming down is helpful in uh, facilitating a process of processing when hard things are happening or when you've been triggered by something years later that reminded you in some visceral way of of what had happened that having a body that feels under your control this this is not a bad thing right and yet um, I would say overwhelmingly the, the body keeps the score. Uh, does what 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 it must do coming from a framework that doesn't look to God as its fundamental hope, which is that it seeks to ground your sense of calmness in your own sense of of control. And fundamentally, here's one of those places where scripture just explodes with depth and hope and help to people who have been through awful things and who are still being affected days, months, hours, years, decades later by those awful things, which is that we don't trust in ourselves. We're not even trusting our ability to soothe ourselves or de-escalate our emotions. Our, our trust and the very thing that makes it most logical and helpful to physically de-escalate in, in a, a moment when we're stressed and, and frantic or panicking or flashing back or whatever is the idea that God himself will keep us. That, that he can redeem us from our mistakes, even mistakes we make in, in the moment of, of panicked uh, 
post-traumatic stress kind of kind of reactions, right? There is someone outside of ourselves. We have a safety that is bigger than what we can create through physical practices or medications or talking or uh, whatever, that, that there's this hope that we have that is bigger than who we are. There's someone we can rest in and lean on and cling to who is there with us. Uh, praying to God in the midst of a frantic panic attack is not uh, a good idea because it's somehow a self-soothing mantra, right? It's, it is actually a connection to a real person. You are not alone. That is the fundamental hope that we have. That The control is God's. It is not ours. And that is, that is deeply and powerfully exciting. Let me put one last piece on the table. Uh, there are a number of points where, uh, where in the book, Bessel talks about... Um, how he uh, goes to various court cases and, and advocates for, for people he is counseled and, and is trying to work through the legal system. And, and I, I, I appreciate it. occasionally it's successful, more often it's not. And uh, that's just a great reminder that justice for those who have been through trauma is exceedingly hard to come by on this earth. It is incredibly rare that you would get a, a satisfying verdict from a court for someone wronging you in a traumatic way that, that just happens painfully, painfully infrequently. Um, are we glad when it does? Absolutely, yes. We, we delight when, when something on earth mirrors something in heaven. But, but isn't it wonderful that, that the Bible actually offers us this profoundly deeper hope? I would actually say perhaps the single biggest hope that the Bible offers to those who have been through trauma is that of justice. Uh, justice on this earth and justice eternally. We, we have a God who in, in Exodus, Exodus 34, 6 and, and 7 says, I am a God abounding in love. I have this compassion for my people, um, but I do not leave the guilty unpunished. I will not turn a blind eye to the wrong that was done to you. It will not be gotten away with. The, the final story is not that your abuser, the one who wronged you, the, the evil that was done that, that caused such damage, that, that will not go unaddressed. There will be a satisfying justice that will come against this evil. Um, that hope is really hard to hang on to, isn't it, right? I, I've spent enough time in counseling to know that you can, you, you need to revisit that every week, every day, the hope that God himself will make things right and this is good, and that when we can't see the details of how that will work out, either on this earth or in eternity, it is really hard to, to hope and, and lean into that. But if it is true, oh, it's so profoundly powerful. If justice really is truly literally, meaningfully, satisfyingly possible. Imagine what that means for a child who's been through physical or sexual abuse or someone who has been the victim of a crime but no one cared or took them seriously because of the color of their skin or because that's just the neighborhood where that sort of thing happens. Imagine what it means for someone in an abusive marriage or someone who has been wrongly treated in a church and cast out and, and cut off from community when, in fact, the person who harmed them was the one who should have been cast away or pushed out or, or held to account or whatever the case might be. There is such a profound hope in the idea that our God is the one who judges justly, as First Peter 2 puts it. 
that we, like Christ, really can entrust ourselves to him, knowing that where the earth's justice system cannot go, our God will not fail. I hope this all makes sense and that it gets you a little bit more excited about how scripture goes deep. And I want to just pray for us as we seek to love people who have been through hard things and to pray for you as you've been through hard things yourself. Lord, we just pray that you would be close to and and bringing justice to and bringing comfort to and bringing calmness to those who have been through awful, traumatic, unimaginably, unspeakably horrible things. And we pray for all of us as well, as we seek to love and walk with others who have been through things, maybe things we don't even know about or don't even fully understand, that we would be agents of your comfort and your love. And we pray this in your name. Amen.